Well, it's great to have you here this morning. We are, uh, we're in a series called Gospel Deep. It's kind of a year-long series, Gospel Deep, right? And the plan is simply this. Let's understand the depths and the riches of the gospel in every facet of our life. It affects every moment you live in, every way you think, the gospel, right? It's not just deep, it's... You're getting it, right? It's not just deep, it's gospel deep. And, and uh, that's where we're going this year. We're excited about it. Uh, in fact, this series is called Gospel Deep. His glory trampled, all right? And uh, so far, we've been walking through the first part of Romans, and we've been seeing a lot of celebration about the gospel. Today is when we start understanding where that title came from, His Glory Trampled, all right? So turn with me to Romans chapter 1, verse 18, Romans 1, 18. We've got the uh, ushers coming forward. They got Bibles in their hands. So if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. They'll get one to you. All right. We're going to be walking verse by verse through this. So if you need a Bible, just raise your hand and we'd love to help you out there. Romans 1:18. Hey, this uh, title today for the sermon is see sin for what it is and uh, see sin for what it is. We got to make sure we grasp what God really thinks of sin. If we're going to really grasp how we should be uh, responding to our savior. All right. See sin for what it is. So here we go. First step. Uh, See God's wrath against our sin as just and right. See God's wrath against our sin as just and right. It's appropriate. Right? That's what we're talking about. Comes from verse 18 here. Says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Wow, there's a lighthearted verse, right? And uh, we better make sure we grasp the whole of this verse. This is almost the crux center of the description of God's glory trampled right here, verse 18. All right. And so let's just go through it word by word here. For uh, that word means like because don't ever skip small words in scripture. They mean a ton, all right? And he's starting out because, well, that means he's explaining what just happened and he's saying there's some purpose to what I just told you. And well, what was he just talking about? Verses 16 and 17, the gospel's awesome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God into salvation to everyone who believes. And right, Paul's getting pumped up. And why does that matter? Because, verse 18, Because the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. The wrath of God is revealed. Remember in verses 16 and 17, we're seeing the righteousness of God is revealed. And now we're seeing the wrath of God is revealed. And that's a big deal. The fix for God's wrath being revealed is his righteousness being revealed. That's why Paul was in celebration. So let's make sure we grasp this a bit. Wrath. Uh, What's the best way to understand it? We think about wrath. We start thinking of our own wrath, human wrath, you know, where we have a temper tantrum, where we lose it, right? And that's wrath. And it's like emotional and it's temporary. It's in the moment. It's not even really well thought out. It's just unleashed in that moment, right? And and then afterwards, you're always like, ah, I shouldn't have done that, right? That's how we think of wrath. That's not God's wrath. God's wrath, best definition here, settled determined expression of righteousness against defiance. 
Let me read that again. A settled, determined expression. Not this big emotional pump, right? A settled, determined expression of righteousness against defiance. God takes a position, he takes it strongly, and he doesn't take it emotionally. He's not after the fact going, ah, shouldn't have blown up like that. That's not God's wrath. God's wrath is this very well thought out, righteousness driven, standing against sin response for the wrath of God, right? And and we see this coming from God who is righteous, right? That's a big deal. We all naturally know and understand that wrath should come from the righteous. How do we know that? Well, just go to the practical. Somebody walks into your world and they're like, hey, do you know what you just did? Like you shouldn't have said or you shouldn't have done, right? And our first response is to turn to them and say, oh, sure, you're going to tell me that when you did this yesterday, right? You don't even know what, think about what you just said, right? And we throw it back at him like we're playing tennis. Like the point isn't taken unless you clearly are living 100% pure and perfect and righteous, Right? We naturally know that it should come from that. And so it's very hard for us to accept a challenge. By the way, just so you know, biblically, we are supposed to be a little more receptive to those challenges than that. Right? Just so I've said that on the side, you're not like, I think he preached. We don't have to ever listen to anyone. It's not that. But rightly, we, we respond going, hey man, it should come from a righteous soul. And let me tell you, for the wrath of God, oh yeah, coming from righteousness. Pure, perfect righteousness. We don't stand looking at him and go, yeah, but you, and uh, think of how often people try to do that. And let's try to make God the evil one now somehow. And, uh, and so they paint a picture where he's responsible for something, anything. So I don't have to listen to you, right? Be careful. Wrath of God, settled, determined, uh, righteousness expressed against defiance. All right. So that's wrath. And uh, so how does God have that kind of wrath and still be love? We don't have a lot of time for it here. It's not in the passage, but I want to make sure we at least address this a little bit. Really, he can be both love and have this wrath expression. How does that work? It doesn't seem consistent. It seems like if God is love, then he's always letting you go on things. He's like, I'm settled and determined against that, but oh, I love you. And so never mind. And we kind of feel like it should be going that way. Why do we think that way? I'll tell you why. And it took me a long time to get to this. Months and months of thinking this through, praying it through, doing some study. And I'm just going to tell you, it's not our understanding of wrath that's broken. It's our understanding of love. Our understanding of love somehow becomes just be nice to them. We actually measure love by the recipient and how they feel. That's our problem with love description. Be careful. Love is not defined by the receiver and his heart in the moment. Love is designed, defined by the giver and his intention. Uh, let me say it this way. God does not have an enabling love. An enabling love where he lets you sit in your sin. But instead he has, I'll just put it this way, an ethical love. He has an undying righteous love. His love does not compromise his purity. And so the two together live in perfection together. 
as he's expressing this powerful care and love for you. And yet at the same time has the willingness and the ability to express righteousness side by side with it. Wrath being a part of that. All right. Hopefully that answers a little bit. Some of you are like, uh, my mind just blew. And I'll write it down. Think about it for a while. Took me months to kind of come to some conclusions on it. Big deal though. Yes, they can live side by side and coexist. In fact, they do in our almighty God. All right. So for the wrath of God is revealed, is revealed. Do you remember those two words? Right. We just saw it in verse 17, two weeks ago when we were looking there, it says for the righteousness of God is revealed. It's in the present ongoing continuous form. It could be rightly translated is being revealed, is revealed over and over and over again. That's the right way to think of it. All right. For the wrath of God is revealed. In fact, we said this about uh, revealed. It means to be shown, right? Revealed. We talked about Vanna White. Remember all that? And uh, is shown like, hey, we demonstrate it, but it's more than that. Shared. All right. And the righteousness of God is shown and shared. Yes, the wrath of God is shown and shared if you will. And, uh, same thing going on. And, uh, we'll talk about that in just a second, but, uh, the wrath of God, you notice it says that righteousness being revealed. That's like his glory, his perfection. Uh, it's the power at the cross. Uh, it's him covering our sin, righteousness revealed, right? In the same way, wrath is revealed. Uh, I just thought of saying it this way. Wrath is like the glove righteousness is the hand wearing the glove you hearing it wrath is the glove righteousness is the hand wearing the glove what motivates wrath is almighty righteousness all right and so righteousness is revealed verse 17 well guess what that necessarily means verse 18 would come wrath being revealed as well one of the gloves put on righteousness to respond against sin that won't turn all right so wrath is revealed and uh, that's a big deal We need to make sure we get it. Notice it says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, like he's sitting on his righteous throne and this is pure and right and good and true. This is a good thing. This is an appropriate thing. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Against all, against how much? Uh, Not some, not part, not most, but ungodliness and unrighteousness. Hang on. What about unbelievers versus believers? Like the way I read this for a long time was for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of unbelievers. Right? I threw that in there and somehow my mind was seeing it that way. But notice it does not say that against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, comma. Like that's it. Everybody, all of us, we're all included in this. The wrath of God against me? Yeah, we're going to have to talk through this a little bit now to make sure we get it, all right? This is a big deal moment. I need everybody looking up here, all right? This is a big deal. Yes, the wrath of God being expressed against sin itself. And so let's just talk about it for the one not even responding to God, all right? Top three ways you're going to see the wrath of God revealed right here and right now in this world. Uh, We're not talking about the wrath to come. 
that's clear as well. We've got this thing where we sit before the throne of God and those who won't stand before him saying, I believed in you. Those who don't have their name written in the Lamb's book of life, there's an eternity of separation from him. There's this word called hell, right? Separated for eternity there, a place where God is not. And that wrath is a future expression. This wrath is being revealed. Ongoing right now. And uh, so what is that? Top three ways God's wrath is being revealed right now. Here we go. Number one, uh, death, physical death. Uh, we see this in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. It says, but through the one man came sin, that's Adam, and through that sin came death. Okay? And so physical death, it's a punishment for sin. It is a wrath being revealed from God against sin and its general presence at all. Death. And a, yes, it's a brokenness in this world. And it hurts like crazy to taste of it. It was not in the original design. It is a part of the expression against sinfulness. All right? Death. Number two, uh, struggle. Uh, both a physical struggle within ourselves, whether it be health or emotional or whatever, and then an earthly struggle We, as the whole world struggles, right? There's a groaning of creation. Romans 8.20 says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it uh, in hope. Love that he throws that in at the end and he keeps going there with what's going to come, a future restoring all right. And so there is currently a subjecting of all of creation and this, sub, this subjection to struggle, this pain. And I mean, come on, seriously, we can attest to it, right? Is there pain in this world? And yeah, man, I taste that. And, and I don't like the flavor. Thank you. And uh, yeah, this world is broken and I would love it if it wasn't. And struggle and we all taste of it. And uh, and the third one is, I just called it allowance, permission, whatever you want to call it here. We see it in the end of Romans 1. It says, and God gave them over. How does God work with our sin? Well, when we're refusing to see him as great and refusing to see our sin as worthless, he can tend to say, then you taste more of that. And he gives you over to expressing it deeper and deeper, right? We often talk about it this way. When we see somebody coming off of sin, we say they've hit rock bottom. What's that mean? They've tasted so much of it, they're sick of it, right? You hearing it? Like there's a giving over to sin and an expressing more and more of, and we unwind out. And that alone is described as the wrath of God, as he says, then, then have that, then have that. And then where does that go? And that's three pieces of wrath that are expressed into this world with a powerful hurt, with a hundred percent universal touch and massive condemnation tied up in the midst of it. And this is what I love about it. Uh, this is a John Piper quote. He said, but the believer, well, the believer experiences just a shell of that wrath with the condemnation removed. Uh, let's settle that for a little bit here. Let's go back now. Death. Does the believer still taste of death? I trust in Christ. Is there still death in our lives? A little bit bigger answer. Is there still death in our lives? Yeah, man. It's not I trusted Christ. I won't die anymore, right? There's still death. But here's the deal. When we die, 
It's not eternity away from him. It's eternity with him. It's a sanctification along the way. And in the moment I pass away, glorification and eternity with him where nothing separates me ever again. Death has lost its sting. Yes, it's a shell of wrath that touches us. No, there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ to to trust him as their savior. Romans 8, 1. Wow. Hear me. While the shell of wrath touches us, if we believe in him, the condemnation of wrath does not. Big deal. And that's death. The second one, suffering. Man, life is tough. I've told you a number of times, I'm not in on that whole preach of, uh, come to Christ, everything will be easy. Health, wealth, and prosperity. Where do you see that? Man, that is not in scripture. And as you go through scripture, in fact, it's quite the opposite. First Peter one, there will be a trying and a stirring of heat in your life as you are purified like gold. God does an amazing thing. Romans chapter eight and everything works together for good to them that are the called according to his purpose. Are you hearing it? Condemnation removed. The suffering is not futile. The suffering is transforming you from one degree of glory to the next. God is using it for good in your life. The shell of suffering is touching you, but the condemnation of it is removed. Praise be to God. We have hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, yeah, wrath touches all of us in the Third one, the allowance as he gives us over to our sin, as he lets us walk into it and taste of it. Beauty, Romans 10, 13. But he gives us a way to escape. Or I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He gives us a way to escape. A way to escape in the midst of that we can be rallying to his side, that we can learn from our sin and be growing with him. Yes, the wrath of God is against all. How much? ungodliness and unrighteousness of men beauty though condemnation removed for those that trust in jesus christ as their savior hope so hear me god is expressing in this world his position against sin god has taken a settled determined position against the end clear clear All right. It says against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Ungodliness. That's the refusing to admit who God is. We're going to see that in the next four verses, 19 to 23. Refusing to admit who God even is. I don't hear you. I don't want to admit who you are. Ungodliness, standing against God. And then unrighteousness. And my actions will not show that I know anything about you and your character. My actions will be self-absorbed. Okay, and that'll be verses 24 to the end, which we'll go through next week. All right. So ungodliness and unrighteousness gives us a little statement of what he's going to be touching on in the rest of these verses. And uh, why does any of this matter? It says, um, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. I'm telling you, as you live in self and sin and muck and and feelings of the day, you stop hearing the powerful whisper of God in your life of what's true. You're suppressing what's right and what's true. And God's there to lift that back up. All right? That's what's going on. For the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Wow. So uh, imagine you're walking into a mall. 
You're walking into a mall. Uh, I like to call the mall the great reducer of all mankind. <laughs> right? It's either massive greed as you're walking into every store wanting anything and everything. You watch the kids unwind right before your eyes. They were so normal before we came in here, right? And uh, you watch every mom who's trying to parent become less than together. You know what I'm saying? As you're trying to hold it together in the mall, right? And uh, this is quite a while ago, but I was walking into the mall and uh, saw a kid laying on the ground face down, licking the floor. <laughs> licking the floor. Hands out, statement being made. Right? And the mom is over the kid like, I'm just going to make up the name. I don't remember the name, but Billy, stop licking the floor. Did you ever think you'd have to say those kinds of words? Right? Stop licking the floor. Come on. And you can start to hear it in her tone. She's already boiling over as you're walking past and you're like, thankful I don't have my kids in the mall right now, you know, and you just kind of keep walking and, and she's watching this kid lick the floor more. And she's like, all right, that's it. We're going to DEFCON 3. We're moving to a new advanced problem here. So she says, that's it. No ice cream for you. Go to threat mode, right? We'll try threat mode. No ice cream for you. He kind of turns towards her and continues to lick the floor even more as he's scooting. All right. He's like continuing to wipe the floor with his tongue. Mom is disgusted and she goes, look it off. Right. Somehow we clench our teeth and it's like it means more business. Do you know what I'm saying? Knock it off. And he won't. And she's like, that's it. She's like, new plan. I'm abandoning the child. Right? <laughs> you can't say you haven't tried it. <laughs> so she takes the stuff and she starts walking along and she's looking back. And the kid's watching her. And now he scoots around. And he's still looking and he's watching her. Just watching. And she gets to a point where something in her that kicks on in motherhood is like, this is too far. It's dangerous for Billy. I can't play this out anymore. He's calling my bluff, right? So she stops and she comes back and he's now winning, right? And and she gets down and she goes, new plan. Ready? We're going to bribe mode. Do you want to go get ice cream? (laughs) Are you kidding me? Just a little parenting lesson. Don't go back on what you just said, right? He's like, he stands up and he goes, sure. Okay. And he takes her hand and they walk past me. And as they walk past and they turn the corner, they were probably the family that you walked by where she's holding his hand and he's holding hers. And they're both smiling on their way to ice cream. And you're like, what a sweet family. (laughs) He was just licking the floor, man. All right. And uh, I'm just telling you this all too often in this world, treating it as the mall of life, you are licking the floor you are tasting of its muck and it's worthless and god's got a statement about it stop licking the floor (laughs) here's the beauty though god does not come down to our level he does not lose his cool he does not lose his righteousness he's an amazing god who brings into play his settled, determined position against because you are suppressing the truth as you taste of the filth of this world instead of the glory of your God. You hearing it? What an awesome, awesome wake-up call 
for us to say, Lord, I so appreciate your wrath, appropriate and fitting. Bring it into this world. I'm good with people stopping licking the muck of this place. May we be satisfied in you and you alone. May we recognize that it is 100% right and just that God brings his wrath as we bring in our sin, our unrighteousness and our ungodliness and we taste of the junk. So simple question for you. Uh, What are you tasting of? What are you licking that you need to stop licking? What is the regular thing you find yourself in that you wish you'd just knock off? Some habit you're in, some, some maybe over abuse of food, maybe an over abuse of alcohol, maybe a wrong way of thinking, maybe anger streaks, maybe words you explode on. Maybe you're watching things at night you have no business watching. Maybe it's time to reduce the package you have on cable and get rid of those channels. Maybe it's time to put some protection on the computer. Maybe it's time to just walk away from that and be done. And hear me, never does walking away from the tasting of the filth save us. You hear me? That does not save It shows respect to God in that moment. What saves? We sit in our unrighteousness and there is nothing that compares to his glory. It is our job to simply say, God, I need you as my savior. Please forgive me and use your shed blood on the cross. I have nothing close to your glory, but you're perfect. Praise God for your gospel. May you share your righteousness with me. Verses 16 and 17. And may you protect me from your wrath. Pull out the condemnation and put it on the cross with my King, Jesus Christ. Amen? For the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Make sure we recognize where we stand and praise God for a Savior. All right. Second, see that our self-centeredness blinds us to God's greatness, leaving us without excuse. See that our self-centeredness blinds us to God's greatness, leaving us without excuse. All right? He starts in verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Are you hearing me? You can know something about God. And uh, there are people who are like, no, it's not possible. I'm telling you, it's possible. Scripture is very clear here. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Obvious, clear, right in uh, plain sight. It says, because God has shown it to them. Okay, look, I'm like the worst one at finding anything. When my wife sends me to find something, it's usually with a chuckle alongside of it. Hey, can you go get this from the kitchen? I have no idea why I'm asking you, right? And invariably, I'm wandering around in there, and I'm like, I don't see it, right? And then she comes out, and it's like right on the counter. And she's like, it's right here, right? And then you're like, oh, there it is. And I have no idea why I don't see the things. I don't know what I'm looking for or what I'm missing. But I'm telling you this, at the moment she goes, it's right here, for me to then go, nope, don't see it. (laughs) I'm not going to see it. 
right? That's that moment where we're putting pride above anything else. Well, that's not what you said, right? And we start to change the story and be careful. His challenge is simply this. God has revealed himself and he's made it completely plain. And it says, and he has shown it to them. God has said it's right here on the counter. Make sure you see it. And uh, because God has shown it to him, what did he see? This is really important to catch now. Um, this is to all people, right? So this is what we would call in systematic theology. This is general revelation. Every single person has this revealed to them. God has shown these two things to them. It says his invisible attributes. What? We just saw his invisible attributes. Watch it. Watch what happens here. It says his eternal power and his divine nature. His eternal power and his divine nature, having been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. See, creation around you is speaking and God is using it to communicate into you. There's a clarity that we have of who he is as we see him. And I'm just going to say it this way. We got to catch two things. His eternal power and divine nature. Are you ready for this? Everybody looking here. Here we go. The, the universe is made up of a ton of stuff, right? And like our sun is big enough to hold a million earths inside of it. The sun is a million earths. But there are stars out there that are big enough to hold like four quadrillion earths inside of it. That's one star. And there's 400 billion stars all over the universe just in this galaxy alone. And then there's hundreds of billions of galaxies beyond it. Uh, Everybody just say, that's big. That is big. Massive in its size. And then check this. Just in your fingernail, your pinky fingernail, there's quadrillions of hydrogen atoms. Just in your pinky fingernail. And you split one of those hydrogen atoms, that's an H-bomb. Think of the power in this world and the massiveness of its size. This original being or thing, whatever it was, let's not even go to its God. Let's just say whatever it was, primordial black hole. I don't care whatever it was. It had to be big, man, right? Powerful, huge, massive, right? Kind of an obvious first conclusion. And the second conclusion, and something always begets something. You don't get something from nothing. So from eternity past, there had to be something, an original Something and we see it's eternity and hey, let me ask you this. What do you know in nature? That's existed from eternity past. Do you know of anything? Yeah, me neither, right? That's not natural. That would be what we would call above the natural or Supernatural His divine nature You will see eternity And you will see massive power Just take a look. He's whispering to his traits. All right. And you're like, I'm not sure I can get my arms exactly around this. We've got a couple of pictures just to grasp a little bit of the universe here. So let's throw up the first one. And now we going, there we go. Can we darken it in here a little? All right. So this is a solar flare. This is actually a picture of our sun. When you're out there getting a tan, that's what's happening to you. Yeah, let's go to the next one. 
This is a nebula, a picture from uh, the Hubble Space Scope. Is that crazy? I can't even describe. I forget the number of hundreds of light years across that thing is. It's massive. But look at the bright stars that are shining around it. And this is out in the universe. This is our space. Okay, next one. This is what they call a quasar. Is that tough? It's actually a black hole right in the middle there, and it's sucking everything at it. And as everything rushes towards it, it rubs with each other, and it starts this light coming off of it. That's what you're seeing going on. Everything's sucking into it and spinning around it. That's going on out there, and you can see the stars out in the background. This is going on in our universe, right? And as we look out beyond into the universe, the massiveness of it, the complexity of it, the eternity that must be there in the beginning, are you hearing it? His uh, invisible attributes clearly perceived. Clearly perceived. We have to at least come to this conclusion. Whatever it was that it started with must have been stinking big and there for a long time, right? At the least, you have to get those two. Eternity and power, supernatural, unlike anything else we'd know in nature. It says... Uh, ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, have been made. Now, this statement here, the things that have been made, this is the same word that's used in Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship. We are his things that have been made, right? And it's saying here, the creation is his workmanship. In fact, in the original language, it, it speaks to a poem, It's his poem, it's his artwork, it's his expression of his majesty and his grandeur. As we look at creation, how did we get from wrath to creation? Paul's going to go to it in just a second, right? And a big deal that this is, this creation we look at is God's unbelievable poem expressing who he is. It says that we should have been able to see those invisible attributes so that we are then without excuse let that settle you are without excuse how are you without excuse simply because of what creation has shown you and what god has whispered into your ear about what's sitting right on the top shelf of the counter from eternity past and massively powerful what could that be who could that be it should start a hunt for your god It should start an awakening and awareness as he's whispered to you the basics of who he is. We are without excuse. We must respond to that alone. And uh, are you hearing what's going on? Uh, What a huge deal when we defy what God is testifying to us. And um, hey, let me just say this. Evolution. I want to be really careful here. This isn't a science class. But I will tell you this. What's the number one thing that evolution is trying to go against or thwart? Think about it for a sec. What would you say to that answer? What's the number one thing that evolution is trying to answer? Well, I think it's trying to answer the origins of the universe. I think it's trying to explain how nature interacts with nature. And no, it's trying to remove this phrase. So they are without excuse. Are you hearing it? Be very careful. Because if at the center of everything you say, I see that power and I do not attest that that is God himself. I see eternity past and I will not say that that is my maker. I won't say that. I won't hear that. I won't admit. It says 
that has been plainly seen and God has shown it. Are you hearing it? This is a spiritual moment when you take a look at the vastness of the universe and the, the complexity of creation and you avoid the simple truth. He must be stinking powerful and existed from eternity past. General revealing. Notice in that we don't know anything about his love. We don't know anything about the cross, right? So Romans 10 comes in later making clear through special revelation the more detail of our God. But this is the starting point. This is the starting point. Okay? Clear enough? Clear enough? All right. So I uh, got this illustration off the internet this week. I thought it was strong. Um, imagine you walk along on the uh, sandy beach. All right? And as you walk along, all of a sudden you see this you kind of cut into the sand. And you're like, wow, where'd that come from? Well, you know, maybe the wind blew a stick and it just kind of whipped it around and you get this you, right? And I'm like, okay, I dismiss and I walk on. And you get a little further and, and then you see a you and then you see the straight line, almost like a, an owl. And I, well, that could have been another stick, you know, and who knows what's going on, and, right? And you move on a little bit and all of a sudden there's an entire poem written in the sand, beginning to end, line after line, verse after verse. At that moment, we must stop and go, who wrote this? That's what he's saying right here. You aren't just looking at a happenstance line in the sand. You are looking at God's poetry revealed. And the complexities and the depths demand us to answer at least these two things. How powerful you must be. And from all eternity, how stunning you must be in that. There is nothing like you. You are above the natural divine in that regard. And man, those are the two things you lock in on and hook right there. That's the role of creation for us. All right? Clear enough? Simple battle with evolution is this statement. You remove God from it. You are standing right in the middle of the kitchen claiming that while it's been shown to you on the counter, you won't look at it. That's what's going on. Okay? Past a powerful statement. So simple question to you. Do you embrace his eternal power? Do you get the vastness of God's almighty power? Do you get his eternity and his divine nature? Are you at least giving him that and saying, I'm willing to hear from you? You might be sitting in here today and you're like, I don't even know who Jesus Christ is. I'm not sure what you're talking about right now. Some of this is intriguing and some of it I want to dismiss and go out to lunch, right? And uh, here's my request. Just let it settle that God has shown, he's making it clear to you personally, right here if no other time than right now. And what should you be getting as you look at creation other than his vast power? And is existing from all eternity. Hear your God. And respond. Alright. Seeing sin for what it is. It becomes our self-centered blindness. Where we miss his greatness. And then the third point. Uh, see the foolishness of our rebellion. See the foolishness of our rebellion. Verses 21 to 23. He says. For although they knew God. Stop. For although they knew God, are you hearing it? This wasn't a chance thing. God set it in motion. He's like, I hope they see it. It's not what's happening. He's making it clear. He's showing them. For although they knew God, yes, fully aware of those two character traits, 
and maybe still standing in rebellion, right? For although they knew God, they did not, here we go, the two responses demanded from looking at him in creation. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. That's your response. Every time you go out at night and you're sitting back on the patio and you see a shooting star and you're looking up at the vastness of the skies, just remember this. It's a key moment to go, man, are you in charge? And I'm so not. I honor you as in charge in my life. You are God Almighty. And uh, just let creation stir you to that end. It'll begin a worship that you would never, ever imagine. Uh, Let his creation move you to being on your knees at his feet. Honor him as God and then thank him. Wow, you have held it all together. I'm amazed with what you've done. And uh, I just pulled this from a quote this week. It was written by a guy named Dawkins. Uh, he discovered DNA. Wow, right? And uh, so he discovered DNA. He's fully aware of some of the details of what DNA did. He wrote a book called The Blind Watchmaker. Like, I'm going to try to explain how this whole universe was created by not some intentional design, but something else. And so this is what he wrote. Listen to this. Remember, they uh, are deceiving themselves. Biology is the study of complicated things that give the appearance of having been designed for a purpose. Did he hear the message that give the appearance? Hang on, there's more. We live on a planet where we are surrounded by perhaps 10 million species, each one of which independently displays a powerful illusion of apparent design. Do you hear him seeing it? He knows God. He has seen the clarity. Romans 1 is living out right before him as he's saying, sure, I see intentional design. It looks like, but listen to this last one. The natural temptation is to attribute the appearance of design to actual design itself. Do you think? <laughs> yes. And, and he walks away saying, but resist that. His temptation is to teach. I know it's sitting on the shelf and I know it was just pointed out and I know it seems apparent. Ignore it. He's trying to teach into the realm of spirituality of avoiding God, not honoring God and thanking him, but instead describing a natural universe that can run on its own. Here's the sickest statement. I was listening to some quotes this week and one of the guys said, you know, there's a lot of times where we get into how this thing became that thing physically and what went on, da 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 da, da and in the middle of it, um, we're really confused about how it all took place, but then we finally figure out, oh, it's because this happened and so it changed like this, and, and so we no longer need God. That was the quote. And so we no longer need God. Are you hearing what he's saying? Like the only time I need God is to explain the unexplainable. If it seems, here's what he's missing. Dude, it's all hanging together right in front of you. That's not God himself. The complexity right before you, the vastness of power, the eternity of nature, that's not enough to see God in it. No, not for me. What happens then? Claiming to be wise, they become fools. Ouch. I even skipped a phrase here. 
For although they knew God, they did not honor him and give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Uh, That would be another word for an idol. Okay? An idol. It's, I'm putting anything in place of the God... I won't give him the honor and the thanks due him. I stand before him in rebellion. I shake my fist at him. And for the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Hear me. We do not stand uh, with any excuse at all. We have none. The clarity has been made in creation alone that he is massive, he is eternal, and he is unlike anything else we know. He is divine, supernatural. We must be responding. That's our God. And as we look at these passages that call out sin and call out a response to sin, please hear me. Our job is to stop being enamored with the things of this world and trying to taste of it, but instead to taste and see that the Lord is good. That's our call. Hey, see sin for what it is. Nothing but a distraction away from the creator of the universe. Nothing but self-centeredness, giving you a self-absorbed moment where you, you thought it felt good, you thought you were headed the right way, but you stand without excuse before your almighty creator. Wow. Man, we taste of sin too readily. We like self And somehow we get caught in this world where the only thing we see is the thing we're thinking about in our head. Do you know what I'm saying? And you sit out under the starry sky with this vast universe going on and the speaking and the handiwork shown right before you. And you're thinking of things in your head about you and how grand you can be or what you can feel or taste. And it's the beginning of the next sin. Lord, help me set it down. May you be honored and glorified in my life. As creator, as king, as redeemer, as the one who reveals, yes, his wrath, but what much more, you reveal your righteousness and you cover me and I can be saved. I can know you as my king. Lord, I want to drop to my knees and give you everything. I honor you as God. Please reveal more of you to me. That's our answer and our response as we see sin for what it is. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray.